Welcome to Mission 150, the podcast that tells stories from 150 years of Seventh-day Adventist mission to the world. To find out more about the mission of the Adventist Church today, go to AdventistMission.org. That's AdventistMission.org. Thanks so much for joining us again. We're glad to have you with us. I'm David Trim. And I am Sam Nevis. David, in the last episode, we said we'll talk about three families. We only talked about one, the Warrens who went to China and dedicated their whole lives to the people in Asia. So today, let's talk about the other two families. Who do you have for us? We're going to talk about the Appels and about the Longways. Okay. So George and Laura Appel, or Apple, I'm not, Apple, I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. It's spelled A-P-P-E-L. Okay. So I think Appel went to the Far East seven years after the Warrens in August 1920, when George was 28 and Laura 27. So they're not as young as the Warrens were, but they're still quite young. They're not even 30 yet. Um, so again, we see that pattern of very youthful missionaries. And to be clear, they went seven years after the Warrens first went. Yes. So not after they left. Correct. That's right. So they go in August 1920, and they spent the next 38 years in mission service. <laughs> wow. The first 29 years they spent in various parts of Asia. They started in Singapore, then they were in Borneo, then in North China, and then in Northwest China in mission administration. And George was also involved in pioneer work in Mongolia and Tibet. And George was a very... Now, Merritt Warren, who we talked about last week, was a really good hands-on, cutting-edge, pioneer missionary sort of missionary. Okay. Um, Appel was very good as an administrator. And so he did his time serving in hands-on uh, pioneer mission work. But he thrived as an administrator. Right. And so he quickly gets moved mm -hmm. up. And that's why he's involved with um, the pioneer work in Mongolia and Tibet, directing it, but helping to set it up. And he made visits to Mongolia and Tibet to try and identify places where mission work could be set up. So he, so though he himself never actually is stationed in those countries, he is important in the attempt to start work there. In the end, they do start work in Mongolia, but it gets interrupted by the war, and so missionaries have to go back to Mongolia in the late 20th century and restart the work there. But he did; he was involved in that in an early at an early period. Okay. Now, the younger of their two sons, Alva, was born in Singapore. Now, that must have been a fascinating childhood, growing up in the thriving port city of Singapore, literally at the crossroads of the world, where great trade routes cross and meet. But of course, what Alva and his brother didn't experience so much was family, because by being missionaries, we touched on this in talking last time, the Appels are cut off from their family. They sacrifice spending the opportunity for spending time with their parents and children with grandparents. Um, they were cut off from seeing their nephews grow, their nephews and nieces grow. And eventually, George and Laura were cut off from seeing their own grandchildren grow because their sons eventually make their lives in America. And yet George and Laura are still working overseas. And that's a constant sacrifice that we see in long-term missionaries. Yes. Because they make a conscious effort to leave the Shire, you know, leave the... Yes, the, go on an adventure. Go on an adventure, <laughs> yeah, to leave their homes 
and to and to take this this message to others to what degree do you think the sense of eternity helps them to make that decision that's a really good question sam and it's it's i think it must and if you read what missionaries of the early 20th century write they're very christ focused we've talked about this before yeah. actually but they are very christocentric that people need to hear about jesus it's not so much they need to hear about certain distinctive Adventist doctrines. It's not that they don't want to teach that, but that's, we have to teach them about Christ. Right. And then you teach them about the distinctive Adventist doctrines that illuminate the character of Christ and sure. God more clearly. Yes. So if you're focused on that, then I, I, I think it's, there must be an element to which you're, you're focused on eternity. Um, but also I think it's, it's partly the fact that you're not quite sure when eternity is going to come, but you think it's fast approaching. All of these people would have believed that... Jesus is about to come. Absolutely. And if not for everyone, for me, because I may die <laughs> for one. So the... But what that means is you have an apocalyptic imperative to do mission. Yes. And this is very pronounced in the writings of Ellen White, by the way. Ellen White is very clear there's an eschatological dimension to this because by what we do we can hasten or delay the second coming of Christ. And also, we can save souls or not. And so I think for Adventists, when you're saying Christ is going to come very soon, we have to do everything we can in the short time we have available in order to reach as many people as we can. So I might sacrifice a few years away from my children now, and from my parents and other family members. But we will live eternally with them already. Yes. Who we might not live eternally with are these wonderful children of God who don't know about Jesus yet. Right. So let's sacrifice our time with our own children so that we can have more of God's children in the new earth. I'm sure that was part of their, that's, of their uh, thinking. That's it exactly. But we have to bear in mind whenever we talk about missionaries doing long-term service, they're giving up a lot. And even today, um, you know, you and I both, we both work away from our homelands and from yes. our, our own families, our wives' families as well. Even today, when jet travel makes communications very fast and I can FaceTime with my mother who's on another continent, and I do that every Sabbath morning, but one is still giving up something by not having the contact with one's family. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it is a sacrifice. Far more so back then sure. when the instant form of communication was a telegram. <laughs> and a telegram that if you were in a certain part of the mission field might not reach you. It would go through the wires instantaneously, but by the time the written form of it is delivered to you, it might be quite some time later. Mm -hmm. So there is no instant communication despite the improvements in things like radio and, and, tele and telegraphy. Right. It's a real sacrifice and we, that's... that's in the background whenever we talk about long-term missionaries, but we often miss that part because when, historically, when people have told mission stories in the Adventist church, it's always been exciting stories about people in the mission field. 
Mm. You know, we tell inspiring stories yes, about yes, yes. trust in divine providence and God intervening and souls won for Christ. Answered prayers in the mission field. Yes. Rather than the sacrifice that got them there in the first place. Yes. And that, Great point. And that is, is, and that is on, constantly ongoing yeah. as long as they are in the mission field. Yeah. So that's why I just wanted to dwell on that because it, it, is, a, it is a real sacrifice. And back then, people would have a furlough maybe once every 10 years. It gradually became more common. It got down to every eight years, for example. But, you know, if you think about it, only seeing your family every seven or eight years. That's something. That's still quite a long gap. Yeah. Okay, so last time we talked about the Warrens who arrived seven years before the yes, They arrived the in 1913. And they had to make a choice during the Second World War whether they would go home uh, or they would stay there. Yes. What about the Appels? What, what happens with them? So the, the choice actually comes in 1941 when the U.S. encourages its foreign nationals in China to evacuate and return to the United States or go to another U.S. territory like the Philippines. Okay. Like the Warrens, the Appels refused to be evacuated in 1941. And then World War II breaks out with the attack on Pearl Harbor. The Japanese are... Who, ha who, are, who had already been conquering through much of China, now attack the American and Western outposts in China. And the Appels move a thousand miles inland to Chongqing, where the nationalist uh, capital had been located. The Japanese had conquered Beijing and Shanghai and Nanjing, and so the nationalists have removed to the far southwest of China where they know the Japanese are not going to come. Mm -hmm. But that's an immensely difficult journey to make. But the Appels make it. And so they first refused to be evacuated in 1941. And now in early 1942, they move this prodigious distance. Now, some American missionaries in China were evacuated over the Himalayas into British India. But the Appels stay in China the whole time. Okay. So they are sharing the hardships and sacrifices of the Chinese people. And George was filling the very difficult wartime role of secretary treasurer of the China division, in which they're trying to keep the mission work going, even though they've lost contact with many parts of China because of the pressures of war. Right. And so there's a lot of, it's, it's a high pressure job, but George fulfills it and does it very well. And then World War II ends, and then the trouble comes. <laughs> well, at first, though, it seems things have gone very well. In two episodes, we talked about how church leaders in 1942, in the darkest days of World War II, said, the time is going to come when we can send missionaries again, and we have to be ready. Mm. And one of the countries they wanted to be ready to send missionaries to was China. Right. And sure enough, in 1946, when you know transportation links are still really disrupted because of Things are still getting back to normal after the war. Right. Adventists are already sending missionaries out. They send a couple of hundred very quickly. But they're only there for three years before the co communists win the Chinese Civil War. And then it's all over. It's illegal now. And then it's all over. You have an openly atheistic regime in power. Uh, the nationalist government, which has resumed its, uh, its, tried to resume its rule of China, now has to flee once more, this time not to Chongqing, but to the island of Taiwan. And so American missionaries are all being repatriated because they only have this narrow, they didn't know it, but they only had a very narrow window. 
And that can maybe be something we do a podcast on in future time, what the missionaries did to ensure the survival of the church after they left. Yeah. But, uh, But so in 1949, the American missionaries are all being repatriated. But the Appels don't want to go back to America yet. They still feel that they have some years of good service in them. Uh, George would have been 57. Okay. Um, so he still feels, you know, I'm, I'm vigorous. And in 1950, the church creates a new division, the Middle East Division. What, they took what had been the Middle East Union um, and some other parts of territories around it and created a new division, a division with hardly any Adventists. It was a mission field division, the most the biggest disparity between population and members of any division in the world church at the time. So up until this moment, we would create divisions that included more territories that had a potential for mission. So it was both the base and the mission together. A hundred percent, Sam. And now there is a shift. Today, we often think of divisions as being in terms of taking care of a certain number of members. But back then, it was the mission field territory, both from where the they would come from and where they would be going. Exactly. Interesting. And so, for example, today we have a Middle East and North Africa union, mm-hmm. but it's not a division, partly because people would say, well, there's only 4,000 Adventists in this territory of 600 million people. But our forebears would have said, there's 600 million people there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we need a division there. That's why we need a division there. And, and that was what they did in 1950. At the 1950 General Conference session, they create the Middle East Division. And that means, and it, they still have a union based in what they call the East Mediterranean. So a large part of what was the old Middle East Union becomes the East Mediterranean Union. They also create what they call the Nile Union Mission, which is Egypt and Sudan and Libya. Okay. Um, But so you now need to create a new division headquarters in Beirut, as well as the East Mediterranean Union, which is sort of the successor to the old Middle East Union. So you need a really experienced church administrator to lead the new Middle East division. So they turn to George Appel. Now, today we might look at that as almost being a bit strange. How is 29 years of service in the Far East, much of it in China, relevant to the Middle East, mm-hmm. where, where the language is Arabic and the, cu- the culture is, is very, very different again. And that's a fair question. <laughs> um, but they took the view that if you've been a successful missionary one place, you can be a successful missionary another. And you do see that in, in Adventist history. There are, there are those missionaries who spend 40 years working in the same sort of place. Um, but then there are other missionaries who end up serving in multiple places. multiple places with very different cultures because they've shown that they can be good mission administrators. And, and this is the point. We all have different gifts. Yes. And we need to use those gifts based on the opportunities God gives us. So Appel has always been called, it seems, after his training, let's say, to administrative roles and you think within administra- in administrative ways. I have a friend who is now an administrator and he, he mentions how watching his dad be an administrator, pastor first and then an administrator, has helped him to start ahead because a lot of the thinking, a lot of the process, a lot of the learning 
he did when he was a teenager, just observing his dad work rather than start from scratch like me. My dad was not a, a pastor. He was a, a coronel in the military. And so I started from scratch in the local church, but he describes it. No, it was my 18th year of ministry, my first year of ministry, mm. because I had grown up watching my dad and all of the difficulties and the joys and the sorrows and so on. And I think there is something to that. Applying your gifts properly uh, in multiple parts of the world. Right. And I think I would actually, ident I identify with that story you've just told, Sam, because my father was not only a pastor, but an administrator. Um, I was born much younger than my other siblings. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I can remember him, it was as an administrator, not as a, a local church pastor, because he'd, his career had developed. Right. And I witnessed him as a child and as a teenager, and I feel I learned so much from him about, about church administration. And so I think it was that recognition of Appel's gifts that this, this, he has a spiritual gift of administration. I don't think Paul mentions that one. But, <laughs> but there is, when you are under a bad administrator, you recognize that there must be such thing as the gift of administration. Yes. And also we have to remember that in the Middle East, because there's so few Adventists, Appel is mostly going to be working with other missionaries. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them from America. There were Scandinavians mm -hmm. as well, but many were American, and the new missionaries coming in were mostly American. And there were others who were veterans of China who got transferred to the Middle East as well. So in okay. other words, the fact that he doesn't ne know the local culture or language doesn't matter so much because by the nature of his job, he's mostly working with other missionaries. Yeah. And he and Laura spent another eight years in foreign mission service based in Lebanon, before eventually retiring after 38 years as missionaries. And praise the Lord for them. Yes. What's next? So the last story we're going to talk about is the case of Ezra Longway. Ezra Longway served as a missionary for an almost unbelievable 55 years. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's a long time, David. That is the longest. I'm not going to say he is the longest serving Adventist missionary well, ever. It must be close. But he's the longest that I've ever encountered in my research. Okay. I've never encountered anyone who served longer or even that long. Right. In fact, I've never encountered anyone else who served over 50 years. Okay. There's quite a number who served in the, the, the high 30s and 40s. But uh, 55 years, I mean, it's just like... My goodness. If you're going to find someone who served more than 55 years, I think it will be in our building here at the General Conference. I'm, I'm going to try and look for someone who fits at least the 50 years I think we can find. Well, 55 years of service is one thing, but this is 55 years of service in the mission field. In the mission field <laughs> and, and in places that very often were real mission fields. Wow. Ezra and his wife Inez were called to Thailand in 1919. And then they served for three years in Southeast Asia, where a daughter, Eva, was born. The family was then called to China in 1922, and there were missionaries there for the next 40 years. I just noticed his name is Long Way. Long Way, yes. <laughs> it's a long way that he served. Yeah, it's so kind of appropriate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they had four more children, a daughter, Myrtle, and three sons born in China. So all of their five children were born in the mission field. And... Like the Warrens from last episode, like the Appels, the Longways served in China throughout World War II, experiencing danger and deprivation. Hmm. And so 
what do they do after the communist victory in the civil war? They have the same challenge as, as all go. the other missionaries. Where do you go? They move to Hong Kong. So okay. at the end of the civil war, there are two European colonies in China. Hong Kong, which is British, and Macau, which is Portuguese. And they're actually just across one very big bay from each other. Yeah. And because the European powers were still strong and were supported by America, the Communist Party didn't, the Communist government didn't feel that it was able to conquer these regions because they feared uh, the kind of military retaliation that they would suffer. So Hong Kong and Macau remain European outposts where Christianity is possible. And at the same time, you also have the island of Taiwan. Taiwan had never been a place where there were any Adventists. It had been ruled by the Japanese up until 1945. And then it gets, it, the Japanese had taken it from China in the 1890s. The Chinese take it back in, at the end of World War II. And now the nationalist government that's lost the civil war take refuge in Taiwan. And it was then actually quite backward but they start the, de the development that today makes Taiwan one of the most advanced countries in the world. Mm -hmm. But so the church creates these three insular territories because Macau and Hong Kong are both islands and so is Taiwan, though Taiwan is a much, much bigger island with a much larger population. They create what they call the South China Island Union Mission. They create a new South China Island Union Mission. Yes, yeah, so they create a new union and the, actually, there wasn't that much of an Adventist presence in Hong Kong or Macau either, as well as a very little presence in Taiwan. So again, f little membership because the emphasis on reaching the people that live there, they weren't just administrators of the resources, they were missionaries, innovators. They had to be. They had to. Now, Long Wei had become an administrator. He'd worked at the division headquarters during the war and actually a little before, um, but in Hong Kong, there isn't that much to administer. You've got yes. to do hands-on work to, right. to, to get the church to grow because there isn't much of an Adventist presence. And Ezra's experience was vital for this new union. He was able to help with administration um, and to develop it. After 12 years helping put the union on a firm foundation, including establishing several new institutions, what is now Hong Kong Adventist College um, and a new hospital, mm -hmm. So he has 12 years in, the, in Hong Kong in the South China Island Union Mission, found several new institutions. He was then elected field secretary of the Far Eastern Division in 1962. And he was then based in Singapore, which is where the division headquarters was for the next 11 years. So his, head, his responsibilities now include more than, than China. So to recap, he first goes to Thailand, spends three years there, then spends 40 years in China, whether the mainland or the, the islands of China, but still, it's all China. Wow. 40 years there, and then 11 years at the Far East Division, which has responsibility for the whole of Japan, Korea, the South China Island Union Mission, the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Southeast Asia. Wow. His wife, Inez, died in late 1972, but the following year, Ezra remarried to a woman called Florence Winton. And two years, uh, yes, two years later, in early 1974, at the age of 78, Ezra finally retired with Florence, his second wife, to the United so States. So it took Florence to convince him because he yes. married. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. He marries at 76? At uh, 77. 77. Yeah, yeah. 
which is optimistic, uh, wow. some might say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so at the age of 78, he finally retires. Now, this would have been called a return to his homeland. Uh -huh. But the truth is that for Ezra, as for the Appels, this could hardly have seemed like a homeland anymore. And you know, Sam, I think about the heroes of the faith described in Hebrews chapter 11. They abandoned their homelands, and it says they spent much of their lives as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And I'm quoting Hebrews here. And truly, if they had called to mind the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But they desired a better, that is, a heavenly country. And I think this is so true of so many Adventist missionaries, these people who gave decades of their lives. Yes. That they had given up their homeland and they had become strangers and pilgrims in the world because yeah. they desired a better country. They desired a heavenly country and they desired that as many people as possible make it there would make it to that heavenly country. How many more would have given decades of their life had their life not been taken in a much shorter space of time? Exactly. Too? Some of the ones we've talked about, they were willing to make, they, they paid the ultimate sacrifice, but they were willing to give of their lives. Yes. And so I also think of, of words in Hebrews 11, of them we are not worthy. Yeah. That level of commitment. That's right. Is just but extraordinary. Putting the kingdom of God first sometimes involves sacrificing. It always involves sacrifice, but sometimes it involves a different kind of sacrifice. David, thank you for bringing these stories to us. It's a pleasure, Sam. It's always a pleasure to talk about it. Thanks again for joining us in this episode of Mission 150. Please keep watching on Adventist Review TV or on the Seventh-day Adventist Church's YouTube channel or keep listening on your favorite podcast platform. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. If you want to know more about Adventist missionary work and missionaries today, go to AdventistMission.org. And if you want to find mission opportunities, if you feel God may be calling you to serve, not for decades, but even for a short time, go to VividFaith.com. We'll be back next time with more on the inspiring history of Adventist mission around the world.